The following podcast is from Doxa Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org. So we're pausing our series on 1 Samuel, uh, and uh, we're picking up a a four-week series on stewardship. And uh, today we're in Matthew 25, 14 through 30, as DJ read for us. It's It's called the parable of the talents. And this parable falls in a collection of parables in the book of Matthew, or the gospel of Matthew, where Jesus is teaching on the kingdom of heaven. And what idea that Jesus is getting across is he's getting across this idea that this world is not all that there is. And don't we all like tend to be tend to be pulled into this feeling that this world is all that there is. And we try to invest and put our time and effort and energy into having our best life now, right? Like I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have my best life right now. I'm going to be all that I can be, all that I, all that I, all the abilities and talents and giftings that I have. I'm going to go out and I'm going to achieve everything I can possibly achieve. And we're t- totally tempted and pulled all the time to, for us to buy into the idea that achievement and success in this world is what it's all about. And Jesus, in the middle of these parables, he's telling us, he's reminding us not to be sucked into thinking that this is all that there is. We're called to live and we're called to prepare, not for the kingdom of this world, but for the one that is to come. That's the point of this parable. Jesus is using this story, which is what a parable is, is a story. Jesus is using this story to teach us how we're to live life in order to be ready for the life to come. How can we live life now in order to be ready for the life that is to come? And so here's the question that is posing us this morning. Here's the big question. Is how are you investing the master's investment in you? How are you investing the master's investment in you? And so my prayer this morning is that each of us are going to be able to answer this question honestly. And we're going to do so by seeing three things from this story. First of all, that the master has invested heavily in you. The master has invested heavily in you. And secondly, the master has invested in you for a return. And then thirdly, the master has invested in you for your joy. The master has invested in you, he's invested in you for a return, and he's invested in you for your joy. So let's look at how Jesus begins this story in verses 14 and 15 of Matthew 25. It's right at the beginning of the New Testament. If you don't have a Bible, there's some under the chairs. They're free for you to take if you don't have one. Or if you just don't like the one that you have. For... It will be like a it, that Jesus is describing the kingdom of heaven, for it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his ability. Now, as Jesus is teaching this, is telling this story to his hearers in Israel, one thing would have been apparent that it may not be apparent to us first off the bat. Because we read the word talent and we think about what, like, like my particular ability to sing. Actually, I've been told that um, 
I have a very passionate voice. That's why people in the band keep telling me, I'm like, hey, if you guys are down a man, like, I'm willing to jump in. And they say, Randy, you have a very passionate voice, and we think that's best served, like, standing in the back. And so I figure, like, I think it's an acoustic thing, but I don't know. Like, that's what we tend to think of. We think of talents, but what would have, the hearer would have heard is the talent was the largest unit of weight that they had in their culture. And so whenever he says that he gave one five talents, one two talents, and one one talent, he means the master left with each of these servants the largest unit of weight of either gold, silver, or copper. And so we don't know exactly how much that would be, but we think a talent would have been, a single talent would have been somewhere between, there's, there's, you'll read widely varied ideas, but most like current scholarship says it would have been somewhere between maybe as little as a year's average salary, but very well could be up to 20 years average salary. So if it is, then it would be uh, one single talent would be worth around $700,000. So they would have heard, like, this master, first of all, is very wealthy. If he's leaving this with his servants, one, $700,000, another two sets of that, another five sets of that. I'm not going to do the math in my head because, again, that's not one of my talents. And I would just embarrass you and embarrass me if I did that. It's a lot of money for each of these servants. They would have known that right off the bat. And then what it would have told them is that there was a, this is a very wealthy Man, a very wealthy master, and he's leaving in order, he would have to be very wealthy if he can leave such a large sum of money in his servant's hands and to be gone for such a long time. And then we see that it's not just the money that he left with them, but he had already invested, so he invested this money with each of these three servants, but he already has invested a certain amount of time and training with them. Because in verse 15 it tells us, to the one he gave five, to the other two, and to the other one, what? To each according to his ability. So the, so the master had spent time with these servants, had seen their ability, had trained them to such an extent that, that they know that whenever he leaves, the purpose that, that they have to hold this master's possessions is to invest it and to see a return on the master's investment in them. He's already spent time, he's observed their ability, and he expected they, they, they would know what to do with the opportunity that they have. And it's no different really for you and for me. The master in this story invests a great deal of money and possessions in these servants' hands that he's already invested a great amount of time in training them and observing their ability so that he matches the amount of money he gives them according to their ability. And there's no, really, no difference in us. Every single person in this room, I, don't, I may not know you, I may not know much about your life, but I know this about you. The master has invested heavily in you. He's invested heavily in you, first of all, because he created you. Every single person in this room, no matter how beautiful you may think you are this morning, or how ugly you may think you are, no matter how many abilities that you may possess, or talents that you may possess, or how few talents you possess, it doesn't matter what your family background is, every single person in this room was made in the image of God. You bear, you bear the fingerprint of God on your soul. You bear the DNA of God within you. You are made, no matter what you see when you see the mirror, you are made in the image of God. The lowest human stands far above the rest of creation. He loves you and he made you. He created you and because he created you, therefore you and I rightly belong to him. 
We may think that we're self-determining people. We get to decide what we're going to do and how we're going to do it. But each and every one of us, being made in the image of God, belong to the Lord. He is the master. And that, ru- that ruffles our feathers, doesn't it? That rubs us the wrong way. It rubs me the wrong way. Because quite honestly, I want to be the master of my life. I want to be in charge. I want to make the calls. I want to decide when and where I'm going to do what I want to do and how I want to do it. And somebody, isn't it weird how like somebody can ask you to do something or tell you to do something that you know you're supposed to do, that you're getting ready to do. And as soon as they tell you, you need to do this, you're like, no, I'm not going to do that anymore. I wanted to 30 seconds ago and I don't want to anymore just because you said it it may hurt me, but I don't want to do it anymore because I want to be in control. But God created you and therefore he has invested heavily in you and he is the master. But not only, not only did he create you, but he purchased you. When you, as a human being, by nature and by choice, live a rebellious life, and every single human being lives this life, a rebellious life against God. God, I don't want you to make the calls to me. I want to be the master of myself. That is rebellion against the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And when we are in that place, he came to us while we are in our sin, and he purchased us out of that sin. He purchased us out of being under the wrath of God. He purchased us out of our own mess. In 1 Corinthians 6.20 it says, You do not belong to yourself. You've been bought with a price. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 18 and 19 it says that you, you have been purchased. If you're a believer in Christ, you've been purchased not with something perishable, not with a, not with a lowly amount of money, but you've been purchased by the most precious thing that exists in all of eternity, and that's the blood of Christ. He's invested in you that he has created you, and he's invested in you that he purchased you for his own possession. Think about what that means. No matter what you and I see when we look in the mirror, you are, if you are a believer in Christ, when you look in that mirror, and that mess, and that morning breath, and that messy hair, before you put your makeup on, and before you comb your hair, and you see yourself with your paunchy belly, and your white pale skin, I'm describing myself now when I look at, when, when when I see that, when you see, whatever you see in that mirror, you are seeing a child of God that's been purchased by the blood of Christ, of immeasurable value to him. Not because of anything that you carry in yourself, but because of the value that he has placed on you by his blood. He has invested in you that he created you and that he has purchased you. And he's invested heavily in you that he's given you certain abilities. He's given every single one of us certain natural abilities and certain, if you're a believer, certain spiritual gifts. And first. Peter 4, 10 through 11, it describes those spiritual gifts and why he gave them to us. He says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve. Notice that, as each has received a gift. So every single person has received at least a gift. 
use that Use that gift to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. He's given every single one of us certain natural abilities and certain spiritual gifts in order to serve him and to serve other people in the church. And you may look at your hands, you may look at your skill set, and somebody might say, hey, you really can't sing, you just have a passionate voice. And you're like, look, I don't have many abilities, and I don't have many talents. I don't have many spiritual gifts. I'm a pretty boring, plain Jane person. I'm, I don't have many opportunities. But he has given you some ability and some spiritual gift in order to serve him. You, not all of us have five. Some have two and some have one. But every single one of us, made in the image of God, purchased by his blood, have been given certain spiritual and natural abilities in order to serve God and serve the church. Given all of us opportunities to use those gifts and abilities. And maybe you look around and you say, look, I don't have much. Nobody remarks, everybody sees so-and-so person over here and they're really gifted and they're really talented. Or I see like some people get up and preach and some people get up and sing and some people have that, you know, John's, you know, magnanimous personality and he just lights up the room as he's doing announcements. And man, I don't have that, but you have something. Even the person with one talent he only had one compared to the five, but even the person with one talent had been given something of incredible value. If somebody gave you $700,000 and said, here, play with this money and invest it, start a business, do whatever you wanna do until I come back and see a return on it, you would think, I've been given a lot until you look over and see the guy who was given five. And all of a sudden we start comparing ourselves with each other. Instead of seeing what I have been given, as little as it may seem compared to somebody else, is of immeasurable value. It's of deep value. He's invested deeply and heavily in me, and he's, he's invested that heavily in you too. You've been created in the image of God. You have been purchased by the most valuable exchange imaginable. But maybe you're sitting there saying, hey, but you don't know how much I've squandered, how much of my life, how much of my abilities I've squandered. I've wasted so much time, I've wasted so many years. I've used talents and abilities God gave me for things that were ungodly. I've used it for things that, would, that would don't glorify him. I've made decisions in my life that I feel like I'm now in a position that I can never use the gifts and abilities God has given me for his glory. You don't know what I have done. You don't know how I've wasted it. But here's the truth. Even the one talent servant who's come from the bottom of the pit can have more to praise the Lord in using their gifts and talents than the one with five who's had it easy the whole time. The person with one talent coming from the bottom of the pit can have more to the praise and glory of the master than the one with five who had it easier the whole time. Because you can say, here's my one talent I wasted it for so long. 
Maybe I wasted half the time, three quarters of the time. Maybe it's a few days before the master is returning, but I put it as from this day forward, I put it to the best use possible. If you notice that, we're gonna get that in a second. When the, when the master has the servants appear to them, the one who had five and the one who has two get the same response from the master. It doesn't matter that one produced three more than the one with two. They get their same response, well done, my good and faithful servant. So the question is, how are you investing the master's investment in you? So the master invested in them, verse 15, then verse 16, who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them and he made five talents more. So also he had the two talents, made two talents more, but... He who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Verse 19, now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I've made five talents more. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also had two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I've made two talents more. And his his master makes the same response to him. Well done, enter into my joy. Verse 24, he who also had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, and his response is totally different. I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. And I went and I hid your talent in the grounds here you have what is yours. But the master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. You knew where I, that I reap where I don't, have not sown and gather where I've scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. When the master returns, there is a settlement of accounts or a personal accounting, and we are all gonna face that kind of accounting at the end because our lives are a management of what does not belong to us. It's what being a steward, which is what these servants are in this case, is. It's somebody who manages something that does not belong to them. And if I am created by him and purchased by him, and he's given me the talents and abilities in order to serve him, whether it's one or five, few or many, then all of that belongs to him. And whenever he returns, this is telling us we're gonna give an account for what we have done, how we have managed, what did not belong to us. He's given the servants time to use the money as they see fit. He didn't tell them how to do it. He just said, here's your talents. I'm gonna go, I'll be back. Let me see what you can do with it. And then we see two different approaches, right? We see the first two servants, one with five and one with two. Whenever they come to the master and they say, hey, I invested, I invested at once, and here's, I've doubled your money. I've doubled the five, I've got 10, I've doubled the two, I've got four now. What does the master commend them for? What, what does he say? Does he say, hey, you got, you've got five more, that is awesome, I'm five talents richer than I was before. Does he, to the one who brought two, does he say, hey, you, you got me two more. That's not quite as good, but I'm, that's still a good return considering what you have. He gives the same response to both servants. 
he commends them for two things. He commends them, first of all, for their faithfulness. Well done, good and faithful servant. My faithful servant. They're not, they're, faithfulness, their response, their management, their stewardship of what God gave them was not according to the measured results. It was according to their faithfulness, managing their master's resources. You and I are not gonna be accountable for Matt Chandler's giftedness. I may have half a talent in comparison, but that's the half a talent I'm gonna have to give an account for. I don't have to return investment like like Dale and Jonathan. I just have to return investment on what he has given me by being faithful with what he has given me. By investing it for eternal things. Which is the second thing that is inherent in his commendation of them. Well done, good and faithful servant. Why Why is he saying well done? Because they have been fruitful. They produces, they've, they've taken what the master gave them and they've produced fruit in return. And you and I are gonna be accountable to what kind of fruit, and that means a things of eternal value. Uh, look, what car you drive and house you live in, I honestly do not care. I don't care if you've got a gate at your house and you've got a butler, though invite me over, that sounds like fun. Or if you live in something much smaller and much less attractive. That doesn't matter a hundred years from now. I don't care what clothes you wear or how many letters you have on the end of your name. Those things are fine and great. Pursue education. If you're fashionable, hey, be fashionable. But that won't matter 100 years from now. How are you taking what God has put in your hands, your abilities, your talents, the opportunity that you have, how are you leveraging that for things that are of eternal value, that last? Because do you know how you are the servant who takes the one and hides it in the ground? You're the one who focuses on everything that's around this world and this life. And you invest all that God has placed in your hands to things that are temporal and fleeting and failing. He commends them for being faithful and he commends them for being fruitful. The servant of God will be judged by their faithfulness and their fruitfulness according to their opportunity and their ability. The servant of God is gonna be judged by you, will be judged by your faithfulness and your fruitfulness according to your ability and your opportunity. That should be good news. He's not expecting from you more than what you have. He's just saying, what are you doing? How are you investing what I've invested in you? And the other response we see is to the, the other servant, the third servant, the one talent servant. I'll be honest, when I, was, when I read this parable, when I read this story, when I see the response from the master to this third servant, I think, all right, that doesn't quite seem fair, and that doesn't quite seem proportionate to what has happened here. 
Right, you have the first two servants, they're gifted, they're smart, they're businessmen. Some of you guys are put on the hook this way. If I gave you $5, it'd be $10 a year from now. Well, that's probably not hard, but this is, imagine it being more than that. You, you just, that's just what you do with life. And so this third servant, he's got one, and he says, well, I'm afraid of what's gonna happen when the master comes back. I'll just hide it. I'm gonna bury it. That's the way my, that's, that's, that was my grandfather's saving plan for a long time. He didn't trust the banks. Uh, he, so he would put the money in mayonnaise jars and hide them on his property. He had like, he had, he had 10 acres and he would hide it somewhere on that 10 acres. And there's probably still mayonnaise jars with like quarters and nickels and dollar bills in there that we will never ever find. It's, it's very safe where it is. And they were, they had their investment that the, that the master had given this third servant, he had it safe and sound. There was no chance that he was gonna lose the master's money. And the master doesn't just come back and he's not just disappointed, he's angry. He's angry because he expects the third servant to invest for return on investment that is eternal. And what he calls that servant breaks my heart, he calls him a wicked and slothful servant. A wicked and slothful servant. And as I was thinking about this at first, I thought, man, that sounds really unfair. But then I'm thinking, man, but he gave them one talent. He gave this cat one talent because he said, hey, you don't have the ability of the five talent guy, but you can handle this one talent. This $700,000, you can handle it. I know you can. I've seen your ability. I know you can do it. And this, this dude, he takes this one talent, this house money. Man, I love, I, I don't, I'm not a gambler because I'm not put on the hook that way, but I love like anything I can be involved with where I'm playing with house money, right? Like my favorite job interview in my life has been like a job interview where I don't have anything riding on it, right? Because then you kind of walk in with a swag, like, like if you need the job, you're like, uh, I really, you know, you're not looking in the eye, you're doing, saying all the right thing, but like you don't need this job. You can walk in, you're like, hey, this is who I am, take it or leave it. Like I love playing with house money. This cat's got house money. It's not his, if he loses it, he doesn't lose anything. He just loses this master's money who's got millions in the bank. And the master gave it to him knowing that he can only handle one talent so there's a pretty good chance that he's gonna lose it. He's playing with house money and yet he hides it. And I'm wondering like, why would he do that? And then I wonder, why would I? Why would you and I hide house money? You are made in the image of God. You've been purchased by Jesus' blood, nothing from your own pockets. You've been given talents and abilities that you didn't create. He created them and he put them in you. You are living life playing with house money. Why would we hide it? Why would we not invest it? Why would we not use it? Why would this guy not do it? Well, first of all, he tells us, he says, I, I, I was afraid. I knew that you were a hard man. And so I was afraid and I went and hid your talents Therefore, And that's what I'm thinking, like, what would he be thinking as he's doing this? And he's thinking, like, like, like he's burying $700,000. He's burying the equivalent of an average laborer's 20 years worth of work in some box, in some, the middle of some desert somewhere. 
like 20 paces away from the rock and then to the, you know, turn right by the, you know, like he's got the whole thing, hiding it. And he's probably thinking like, what if I mess this up? What if I mess this up? And don't many of us live life like that? I don't want to leverage what God has given me for his glory and his kingdom because what if I mess this up? This was a, this was a debilitating thing in my heart and life when I, I felt God leading us to plant a church because I thought, God, I know me. I have failed at too many things to think that this thing is a surefire bet if I'm involved. There's a very good chance. I was, in, I was embarrassed to ask people to be a part of this church plan because I was afraid, like, if I say something to them, then this the whole thing caves in and falls or I mess this thing up and they look at me and they said, it's your fault, I came here. What if I mess this thing up and I was held in debilitating fear for a long time? I was afraid of failure. And many of us don't invest what God has put in our hands and don't do what he's called us to do because we're so afraid at failing that we're not even gonna put it, we're not gonna risk it, we'd rather bury it. I don't wanna let anybody know what I'm called to do. I don't wanna take the risk. Why would, I, why would I invite a child in for adoption when I know it could go south, when I know it could go wrong? Why would I put myself out there to sing? Or why would I put myself out there to, to serve somebody when I know like I'm probably gonna let them down? Why would I lead a community group when I'm afraid like people are just gonna be like sitting in that room just nodding, like shaking their head at me like, man, this dude is sad, sad, sad. And the next week, nobody shows up. He's probably afraid of failure, but he's also afraid of the master. What will the master say whenever he comes back and I mess this up? I imagine he was also plagued by envy. You know, $700,000 sounds like a lot until I look over and see like, oh man, you got three and a half? Three and a half mils? And I got 700,000? And I've been serving this master longer than he has. I've been on his, his household for 20 years. This cat just came in three years ago and he gets three and a half. What in the world? And you, you can become so envious, so caught up looking sideways at who has more than you that you are paralyzed and don't ever do anything with what he has put in your hand. Why did I only get one? Or he could have been motivated by shame. He looks over the five and the two and he looks at his measly one, his measly 700 Gs, and he says, you know what? I would rather hide this. I'd rather put it in the ground than have to see it and be reminded because it says at the beginning, he gave each according to their ability. I'd rather hide it in the ground instead of having to look at it and be reminded why I only got one. And all of that is really tied up in this, the whole sense of pride in saying to the master or about the master, who does he think he is? It's not fair. Who does he think he is to give him five and give me only one? Who does he think he is? He knows, then you go on the other side, like he knows I'm not very good at this money stuff. He gives me $700,000. It's not fair. Who does he think he is? This is too much pressure on me. It's all based on pride. And maybe you think, I don't have much to offer or I don't have many opportunities. 
But realize, he didn't judge the servants according to, according to their return. He judged them according to their ability and their opportunity. We get caught up looking horizontally instead of vertically. What does it mean that somebody else has, is three times better, more talented than I, have, than I am? What does it matter if someone is 10 times richer than I am if I'm not even using what he's given me? For his glory. It doesn't take much to make a difference. Sometimes it's the one talent person. It's the one talent person who will serve in areas that the five talent and the two talent cats won't. There was a man in a church I grew up in. His name was uh, Mike Granger. We called him the candy man. He was a goofy guy. He did vinyl siding for a living, good guy, but just a really goofy guy. And here's what his ministry was. Here's why we called him the candy man, because every time he came to church, he brought this paper bag. It was rumpled up, gnarly looking, with this candy inside. That's obvious, right? And he would come up to each of us, something kind to us, and use that as a connection point. <laughs> I don't know that candy affected me that much. It was good candy. Actually, it was cheap candy. Is that like that cheap strawberry candy, you know, or the cheap little like spearmint candies? He did very little. Matt Chandler's not doing that. The Pope's not coming and offering a wrinkled bag of, you know, mint candies to kids at a church in Conway, South Carolina. This man who may have one talent, two talents, I don't know, he would come every Sunday and he would, say, he would say something really kind to us, offer us candy and love on us. My great-grandmother, uh, when she died, uh, she never owned property, never owned a house. She didn't get a job until she was in her 60s, didn't drive until she was in her 60s. She left almost literally no money or anything behind. And her but her funeral service was the most joyous one I have ever been at because every single grandchild and great-grandchild thought that they were her favorite because she poured, I was her favorite, but she, they, each one thought that they were her favorite because she poured so much love and attention to them. Neighbors and friends, people from church came and talked about how she would go and she would pick uh, beans for them whenever they were shut in and bring them food and how she loved on them. She was a one-talent person, no doubt. And yet, well, her little bit went in places that the five-talent people either wouldn't or couldn't go. What are you investing? How are you investing what the master has invested in you? All of these motivations to work for return of the master, that they're working in this one-talent cat comes from a misunderstanding and a false belief about the character and nature of the master. So whether it's fear or shame or pride or envy, like all those things are based around a misunderstanding of the nature and character of the master. He says, which the other servants don't, he says, I knew that you were a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. I was afraid. And so that, that's why I went and hid. 
And the master answers, we, we can't really tell whether he was these things or not. He says, hey, you, you thought this is who I was? Why didn't you at least invest it in a bank so you could at least get a return on the investment? The point was, he did not understand his self. That's because you and I wanna be the center of the universe. We wanna, make the, we wanna call the shots. We wanna say what we're gonna do and how we're gonna do it. And then we wanna pass judgment on the master for not giving me what he gave that guy or that guy or that guy. Yet, here's the nature of your master, if you're a believer in Christ. He is all-knowing. Why did he give you one or two talents instead of the five? I don't know, but he knows, and he's smarter than you and I put together. Wouldn't we trust him, the man who created the heavens and the earth, who upholds it all by the word of his power? Wouldn't we trust him? He's all-knowing and he's just. He's not fair, but he is just. You and I don't want fairness, but he is just. He does nothing that is not right and just. And he is purposeful where he has placed you and what he is, the uh, particular gifts and talents he's given you and the opportunities he's given you, he's placed you there on purpose. It is not by accident. You are not forgotten. He has purposely placed you there just as he's placed the eagle on the giant tree and he's placed the little sparrow on the tiny twig. He's placed you exactly where you belong. And he is gracious. None of us deserve what we've been given. We don't deserve life. We don't deserve eternal life. We don't deserve, deserve the talents and abilities he has given us, but he is gracious that he gives us what we do not have coming to us. And then he is loving. Your value in no way is tied to whether you're five or two or one talent person. Your value is tied to the blood that was shed on your behalf. We are servants, but we're more than servants. And it's that, it's that that enables us to persevere in the master's absence. Because he said, Jesus said to us, I no longer call you servants, but I call you friends. And he also said, I came not to be served, but to serve. And when you grasp that, when you get that, when you get that you're no longer just a servant, but you're a friend and the God of all creation who's all-knowing, just, purposeful, gracious, and loving came and paid your redemption, all of a sudden, I no longer see him as unfair and unjust, but you will until you grasp that. And you'll refuse to invest what the master has invested in you. And then very quickly, the master has invested heavily in you. He's invested in you for return. But lastly, the master has invested in you for your joy. Notice his response to the first two, the good and faithful servants. He says, 
well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. And here's the best part. Enter into the joy of your master. There's a joy in serving and investing what the master has invested in you. Like a cheetah, when he's running, he's enjoying his speed. If he's conscious, he's enjoying his speed. Like an eagle enjoys flying and soaring high above the earth. When you and I are serving in this life with the gifts and abilities that he has given us, using the opportunities he has given us, we get to do so feeling and sensing the smile of God upon our souls. There's a reward here, but there's also a reward to come. There's a reward to come that frees us because I can risk it all. Just like these good and faithful servants, I can risk it all because I can't lose it all. I can risk everything that he's placed in my hand because if I lose all of that, I've lost nothing. My value is still solidly based in who he is and what he has done on my behalf. And then there's a reward to come. Can you imagine standing before him and you bring what may feel an earth. I, man, all I did was offer candy to some kids at church. But you stand before him and he says, hey, you took the one talent I gave you and you invested it and you served me there. Well done, my good and faithful servant. And you look over and there's Billy Graham and there's Matt Chandler and there's my great grandma and you're hearing them get the same commendation. Enter into my joy. I would imagine that all of a sudden, I don't care whether I was a one or two or five talent guy. Because looking in his eyes, the one who loved me, and says, well done, enter into my joy. <laughs> oh man, that's a payoff, isn't it? I'm gonna pray, the band's gonna come up. In a minute, we're gonna celebrate communion. Let's let that remind us. Let's let it remind us of how much he loves us and how gracious he is to us. And let's let that stir in our hearts a resolve. Not our own resolve, but a resolve that comes from him to invest all that he has invested in me, all that he's invested in you for his glory and for our joy. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Doxa Church. We are so glad that you took the time to join us today. At Doxa, we exist to make disciples who joyfully worship Jesus with their whole lives. We invite you to join us. Doxa Church meets at 10 a.m. every Sunday at River Oaks Elementary School. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org.